this week on the nonprofit news feed. Of course, brought to you by Full Whale. We've got some news for the week of, well, Valentine's Day. Although we don't have a lot of Valentine's Day news, we're talking about nonprofits preparing for potential standoffs in Ukraine and the great U.S. volunteer shortage, among other things. Nick, how's it going? It's going good, George. Happy Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day to you. Why don't you walk us through our summary news? Sure. I'll start us off with our first story. And the headline is that nonprofits and NGOs are preparing as the Russia-Ukraine standoff intensifies. And we led with the story here about a nonprofit organization called Project Dynamo, um, which was formed to aid in the evacuation of Americans from Afghanistan, uh, coalescing around preparing for the potential evacuation of Americans from Ukraine should the situation deteriorate. Um, This organization is just one of many nonprofits, NGOs, and civil society groups that are preparing for the worst in Ukraine. Background on this issue is that beginning in December, Russian troops have begun to surround Ukraine as Putin levies military might um, for as a form of pressure for some end goal, which no one is 100% clear on. But on Friday, the U.S. government advised that all Americans leave the country within 48 hours. So they had intelligence suggesting um, that this could deteriorate. As we were recording now on Tuesday at approximately 2 p.m. Eastern, it looks like um, the Russians are keeping open diplomatic solutions to this problem, um, at least publicly in communications. But the situation remains that the Ukraine, U- Ukraine is still surrounded by Russian uh, troops, um, and the situation is still very serious. Uh, but just the the takeaway here is that in the event of war in Europe, which is what this would be, a land war in Europe, that it is NGOs and civil society groups that are going to be in large part fulfilling the humanitarian needs of the Ukrainian people first and foremost. Um, so We really hope that this gets resolved diplomatically and with the minimal amount of confrontation possible, Um, but it's quite a serious situation and nonprofits and NGOs are stepping up um, should it devolve. Yeah, and it's pretty impressive. The same group was responsible for helping more than 200 Americans and 2,000 Afghans during the Afghanistan evacuations. And look, you're, you're, you're praying, hoping for the best, but it's it's good that they're being proactive here and saying, look, uh, here's the help that's going to be needed. And it's going to take, uh, I think, a lot more hands as Ukraine is far more sizable and there's far, uh, far more unknowns in a potential land invasion of this size. Terrifying to think about, but nonprofits, again, able to start this narrative early, potentially, hopefully raising funds. So you know, we're looking for other stories around this and amplifying how the social impact sector will be responding to this potential threat. Absolutely. George, it's been really interesting to follow some of the communications and messaging around this crisis, both from NGOs and even the U.S. government. The U.S. government has been very public about its uh, assessments, intelligence assessments of humanitarian costs of this crisis, um, which is in many ways giving these NGO groups 
um, a leg up to prepare for any kind of mass mobilization, right? It, it kind of goes hand in hand saying, listen, this will be the human cost should an evasion occur. Um, that's both a deterrent to Putin, um, but also if it was to happen, um, it's laying the groundwork for nonprofits to make really urgent and substantial calls to action, um, both from a fundraising angle as well as just a, a response angle. Um, so really interesting to follow how those narratives are forming. All right, our next story is about the great US volunteer shortage and CEO transition at Volunteer Match. So George, I'll pass it over to you, but we highlighted an interview that you did with Greg Baldwin, who is the CEO and president of Volunteer Match, um, who talks about the increasing disparity between demand for volunteers and supply of those volunteers um, being seen and felt by nonprofits. And he also discusses um, that he is stepping down and the process for finding a new CEO. So. What did you learn from that conversation? Well, I mean, frankly, ironically, it was on this very podcast, but it really revealed something larger because we'd kind of been seeing a lot of these trends regionally where, you know, blood centers, where senior centers, where there weren't enough volunteers. And I think there's a few macro narratives playing into it, but, you know, when in doubt, and I'm kind of questioning, you know, uh, where, what did the data say? And so we went to the source, Volunteer Match, the largest provider and marketplace for volunteer opportunities in the country. And I was actually pretty shocked at that total number, the huge rebound to 10.5 million opportunities. Just to put it in context, that was as low as around four, four and a half million in peak scare pandemic times. And prior to that was at 8.5 million. So there are more nonprofits looking for volunteers than in recent history. However, on the other side of it, there is a decline and I see it in Google Trends and they see it in the data over at Volunteer Match, a decline in the number of people raising their hand to volunteer. So there are, the, as I mentioned, macro trends in and around labor shortages, around COVID fear, and especially in at-risk vulnerable populations, our elderly uh, populations as well, where maybe uh, they feel more at risk and maybe less likely to go out into the community. There's also an increase in virtual volunteer opportunities in that uh, in that set. So, you know, I think there's a, a lot of things working in, in concert here, but it's something that has tremendous second order effects and impacts on nonprofits and the people those organizations serve. So just trying to, to dig into it more, and we may end up writing some more uh, about this topic, but, you know, this is kind of an interesting where there's smoke, there's fire, where we saw these uh, smaller stories popping up again and again. Uh, it, it speaks to a, a larger national narrative that is interesting to explore and understand because uh, without volunteers, we lose a tremendous engine that pushes forward a lot of the impact that the sector provides. Absolutely. And to your point, going back to the interview um, we did with friend of whole whale, Dan, um, a lot of nonprofits are at the front lines of things as urgent as, or seemingly unurgent, like community response and community sports groups, what have you. Um, but those groups, those community groups are 
uh, so benefit from volunteers and so heavily rely on volunteers and are often at the front lines of tackling some of society's toughest problems or might be the first point of contact for a kid um, experiencing grief or going through what we're all going through with the pandemic. So the kind of like the trickle down effects of this can be substantial. Yeah. All right. Let's roll into some of our summary items that we have here. All right. I'll start us off with our first one. George, I'll first ask you, did you watch the Super Bowl? I did, in fact, watch the Super Super Bowl in, well, I should say in between chasing children. So one eye on the children eating sand and one eye on the Super Bowl. I, I love it. Um, I, our first story, I watched it. I watched it too. Uh, most of it. The... Uh, halftime show was notable for its uh, stellar performance of some old school um, rap and hip hop names, Snoop Dogg, Dr. Dre, Kendrick Lamar, um, Mary J. Blige. Um, however, it also featured Eminem, who at the end of his performance took a knee, which was really notable because taking a knee, um, of course, was a gesture um, first used by Colin Kaepernick back in 2017 um, to express protests and dissatisfaction um, with a whole host of issues among them, um, racism in policing and uh, racism in these United States. So George, the NFL is being sued um, as we speak by um, uh, former coaches for discrimination and is no stranger to controversy around racism, particularly how it handled Colin Kaepernick's protest or gesture, if you will, of taking a knee back in 2017. And here we have Eminem taking a knee here now. I'm wondering why you brought this story to uh, the forefront. What do you think this says about how we respond to social protest um, on America's largest stage. Well, I thought it was actually interesting because I wanted to, I'll just be honest, an excuse to talk about a major U.S. cultural moment. And if you look back, there have been a lot more social impact, nonprofit ties to the ads or the message or the narratives. And I actually saw a, a lack of that this year. Not a lot of ads tie in. You can go back and there's usually, you know, one or two nonprofit tie-ins and narratives. And I was looking and maybe there's some loose connection of extra donation or here's our social good work that might be, it's not there in the ads. And this was really actually one of the only moments I saw of uh, a national recognition in the game of a social movement or social cause, uh, which I guess kind of surprised me. And, you know, coming back to it, you know, I, I, I think there was, there's questions about the, the NFL saying like, nobody is taking a knee, don't do this. And then they're like, after the fact, they're like, oh yeah, well, you know, I haven't seen any fines come out, but I think it's drawing national attention to uh, a narrative and ongoing basis on the largest uh, cultural stage uh, in in the country. So, you know, just to note it, um, to, to say, if you were in that ecosystem and that sphere and that narrative and that conversation, it's part uh, part of that. If you are a, a nonprofit having those conversations, this is uh, something that you can uh, bring up and, and talk about. Though I, I saw no follow-on of action donation or anything. 
Yeah, that's fair. It's interesting to do, to kind of compare the American sports league side by side, right? Like the NFL, so very different from the NBA. Any, any professional basketball fan knows the NBA and its players have been extremely proactive on issues of social justice in the, the past couple of years. So really that, uh, that discrepancy between how they approach issues like Black Lives Matter, for example, is uh, definitely interesting. Unless we're talking about the Uyghurs in China, in which case the NBA is definitely, definitely silent and have silenced uh, players that have spoken out about it. So like, I'm not tipping my hat to any uh, major uh, national sports association at this point. Uh, That's fair. I think, I think we're going to need a follow-up on this one (laughs) because to your point, it's often the biggest stage for conversations around social justice or it's the Super Bowl is in many ways the most watched event in our like American cultural celebrations if you will um I, I can't think of anything that's more watched or more closely paid attention to other than maybe a presidential election um but even so we're all paying attention to different streams and it's it's interesting we're never we're never more focused than we are at that moment so interesting narrative uh i don't even i don't have a good transition for this because this story is so bonkers i was trying to come up with something speaking of super bowls butterflies (laughs) see that smooth transition (laughs) i love it george um this story comes from the new york times and is utterly terrifying it is about how a butterfly refuge sounds quaint and beautiful um at the texas border has become a target of far-right lies. Um, Politics, uh, people who follow politics might remember um, back in the day, Pizzagate, in which like crazy conspiracy theorists um, believed that a pizza shop in Washington, D.C. was the nexus of a democratic uh, child sex trafficking ring. Well, it turns out that um, it wasn't the pizza shop. It was this butterfly refuge. Um, which is now at the center of a conspiracy theory that it is also um, a Democrat-led child sex trafficking point. I, I don't even know. Um, but the, just the fact that people are showing up at this place. Um, the, the quote here is that last month, a Republican congressional candidate from Virginia came to the Butterfly Refuge looking for a site of human smugglers and had a physical altercation with its director. Um, This is online conspiracy theories leading to real world harm, in this case, a butterfly refuge. I don't know how to fix this. Yeah. Well, it's very clear that this site was targeted because it was on the potential crossing of the border, uh, border wall, where they wanted to build it. And so clearly, if you become an enemy of the border wall or extreme right wing agenda, it's pretty easy to drop in on Reddit, weaponize the very hot button issue of child sex trafficking, which you know is very real, is very serious. But you weaponize that, drop in on Reddit, dog whistle to folks that may be a touch more uh, unhinged and triggered, and suddenly you have a, a ready made militia. It, it, it's a paint by number almost at this point for you know, silencing and attacking people that disagree with your 
your beliefs. Uh, I see versions of it on both extremes, but it tends to be far more violent and scary when I see it used uh, in this particular way. And sadly, like, I mean, come on, it's a butterfly refuge at this point. You know, like you, if you brought this story to a writer who was going to write it up, they'd be like, well, obviously that's not gonna, that's not a thing. But, you know, here, here we are, truth stranger than fiction. Uh, but also uh, I, I, takeaways here are to pay attention to the, the weaponization of social causes, uh, especially when they can, they can lead to this. I don't know if there's anything that could have been done on the way toward this type of runaway conspiracy theory. Uh, but it's, it's something to pay attention to if it is lurking in your background on, on Reddit, paying attention to where and how your organization is being mentioned in, in news articles and in fringe articles to say how um, you could potentially stay ahead of it or, or prepare for something like that. Yeah, that's a great point. It leads us to much broader and more complicated conversations, but we'll leave it at that for now. Our next story also related, I guess in a way, to kind of our existential understanding of the internet and social media is about Facebook, um, which in an historic day of loss um, recorded uh record loss for Facebook now, of course, uh, trading on the the market as meta. Um, I think losing 20-something percent of its uh, stock value, its market cap in a single day. Um, Facebook blames the the shifting loss on Apple privacy changes, among other things. But George, this represents, I, I think, a serious and existential problem for Facebook. Um, particularly related to its business model, which is ads. And at the heart of this, the Apple tracking issue is in fact an ads tracking issue. If advertisers cannot um, track people well enough um, from ad to purchase, uh, that's that's kind of why advertisers use Facebook in the, in the first place and advertisers are Facebook's revenue. So what's the takeaway from this? Is, is Facebook finally too big for its own good? What's what's happening here? So I brought it because it's not particularly a direct nonprofit angle, but important to know because nonprofits have relied so heavily, I think, on Facebook fundraising, on Facebook social, and Facebook ads. And it's very important to understand macro shifts like this and how your team is investing, continue to invest, and planning on Things like growing your audience and, you know, the adage of don't rearrange deck chairs on the Titanic may actually have uh, quite a bit of bearing on, on what we're starting to see here is the beginning of the end. Again, things I wouldn't necessarily do uh, short Facebook stock. I uh, wouldn't bet against uh, a major player with basically, uh, you know, GDP of a small country and certainly the population to boot. But when things start to go uh, downhill, uh, it, it's time to pay attention. So if you are an organization, I always try to remind nonprofits that Facebook, if you are a nonprofit on that platform, Facebook is not a social network. It's an advertising platform. It is a very good advertising platform. However, 
that may be dwindling and that may be changing as audiences begin to leave the platform and Facebook can no longer buy its competitors, buy its way toward innovation. It hasn't innovated since the, well, wait a minute, never, because it is literally bought or stolen every single one of its innovations. And now the U.S. government will no longer sort of approve any more purchasing of things and TikTok is not for sale. That's a bigger problem, which relies on China. So coming back to it, plan carefully around Facebook. Whatever you do invest, make sure that you are getting in return emails that you can reach out to, traffic that comes to your site, assets that you can use in a potential world where Facebook goes away or becomes de minimisly important in a social landscape. This is not happening tomorrow. This is not saying run away from all of their assets. They have tremendous footprint. But again, maybe an opportunity to look above and beyond and then pay attention to what you're bringing back to your own site. Absolutely. That's a great point. The 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 social world is diversifying. And I think sometimes when we talk about tech and privacy, um, at least conversations around tech and regulation, privacy and politics um, tends to gravitate towards Facebook, that conversation, um, when Facebook is just one part of the pie and puzzle. It's, it's, the internet is much more diverse than just Facebook is something that I'm increasingly becoming aware of. All right, our next story comes from mybiz.com and it's about salary competition adding to staffing shortages for nonprofits. Um, so this article touches on a different threads, but among them that nonprofits have hiring shortages. Um, so there's actually a gap in, in hiring and staffing and that one of the chief reasons that this gap exists among other things like burnout and stress are um, salary constraints and just being uncompetitive with their for-profit counterpoints um, at a moment in the United States, at least, where both inflation and wages are rising, mind you, at different rates. Um, but essentially, um, the labor market is really, really shifting um, and competition for new hires is quite high. Yeah, again, one of those we see it in local groups across the country, and it's uh, it's a shift coming and probably not about to change uh, with labor shortages and increased increased minimum wage, uh, inflation rising. It just comes down to harder times for nonprofits to uh, to staff and then talent. Uh, I, I don't know. Contrary to that, I do think that the rising generation and workforce uh, is far more socially concerned uh, with how their work turns into real world impact. So uh, I would say emphasizing those narratives and then doing your best in terms of flexible hours, flexible, whatever you can do with regard to benefits to to try to compete. Uh, But it's, uh, it's tough. We see it uh, across the country right now. All right. That does it for our summary. How about a feel good story, George? One, please. All right. This is about a Dual polar plunges in Massachusetts, as reported by WCVB.com. And it's about polar plunges. One is for Special Olympics. um, And the other is um, for a local 
Massachusetts nonprofit. And I don't know about you, but Massachusetts water in February is not exactly warm. This is not my jam, but I will applaud all day long the people who run into the freezing New England water for nonprofits. Yeah, I'm not one for for polar plunges, but I, I like the I like the cause and, and supporting that, especially in and around uh, the Olympics and Special Olympics. So, kudos to you. Stay warm, wear a blanket. Uh, special note for this week: uh, shout out to our sponsored post here for fundraising automation strategies, the whole university course that will walk you through seven ways to automate donor nurturing, especially important this time of year. And we have a podcast coming up with the creator of the course, Isabel. So hope you'll be enjoying that on our next episode. All right, Nick. Thanks as always. Thanks, George. This has been Using the Whole Whale podcast. If you want to keep learning more about these topics and others, head on over to wholewhale.com slash university to keep learning with us. Thanks as always to gregthomasmusic.org for his tunes that underwrite our tracks. They're fantastic. Hope you're doing well, Greg. And just a reminder, subscribes really help us on any platform that you listen to us on. Please give a thought to click and subscribe and maybe even a comment because we like hearing from you. 